Did you you heard the new um the new Bloodlet single, right? Have you heard that? No, I, I haven't heard it yet. I, I was totally gonna listen to it after talking to you yesterday, and I completely forgot. <laughs> it was pretty cool, but I, the so, the singer sounds totally different. I don't know if it's the same guy or not. Uh, according to Randy, it's the same. It's the classic lineup, like oh, okay, like the, the the one that Aaron did the artwork for that record. I think yeah. it's that lineup. That that was my favorite version of the band. I like when they had two guitar players. I know we yeah we've gone back and forth about that, but the uh, <laughs> but his sing the singer sounds totally different, man. He's like you know how his old his vocals always had this kind of like uh, like forced sort of sound to it. Yeah, that's exactly how I would describe it too. Yeah, and now the guy, if it's the same guy, his voice sounds completely different. I don't know. It's, it, I yeah. I think he blew his voice out before the Sarah from Father. Something happened to his vocal cords that gave him like that sound. Huh? I think it's it's been it's been a while since I thought about it, but uh, I think that's what happened. Maybe he got his, his something fixed. I, I don't know. <laughs> He got his, he's got his vocal cords fixed and now he sounds different. <laughs> he sounds like a girl now. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but dude, Bloodlet, Bloodlet's great, man. They're they're in and um Bloodlet and Integrity and Dead Guy were in my opinion my favorite Victory Records bands. I yeah. love that I, that that uh those of your tomorrow record. That's like such a classic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, but I, I never really I don't really know much after that. I got to tell you, like man, I just... the later integrity, the the relapse era of the band, it's like different guys. Like it's not, it's not like the uh, you know the Melnick right. brothers anymore. Uh, but you know, there's there's always been different guys in and out of the band over the years. You know, Chris Smith from Keel Hall was in was in integrity yeah, for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the lineup he has now is like guys from Baltimore. Um, and, oh right, you were saying, and it's fucking good, man. It's like. You know, I mean, it's still. I mean, Dwight's still the 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 direction. You know what I mean? Like he still has right. like, the uh, the vibe and the lyrics and the you know just the whole overall overall uh, concept behind the band. And it just has this. Uh, I, I really like the new integrity stuff. It's really cool. Yeah, man. I remember seeing them in like it was like '93, tuning in New Haven. Yeah, and there was just this like air of like violence like yeah. there was some like B B cleveland connecticut beef or something like that <laughs> <laughs> it was just like the vibe in the room was like intense and i remember they came out and like the wood screen was like and then like it was like a fucking prison riot like yeah. within a second it was just the most insanely violent show i've ever, I've ever been to still to this day i think yeah it was the, awesome. <laughs> the uh in it, another band that from up from like upstate New York, that's similar to that was uh, all out war as far as um, the threat of violence at their live shows. I yeah, I think I remember them. You ever check them out? Yeah, there's no. I I remember the name, but I don't remember much about about the music at all. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big I hardcore fan, but I like I like right. all out war. I like integrity, um, and I like a Marauder a lot too. Oh, Marauder. Yeah, Mike from Candiria, the bass player for Candiria, was in Marauder for a minute. Yeah. I'm not sure what era of the band. It's before he was in Candiria, so. There have been a lot of guys in that, that band, definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think it's one of those things. 
But like, you know, the, uh, the main, the classic lineup though is with Saab on guitar. Like that's kind of, he's like kind of the heart and soul of the band in my opinion. And he passed away a number right. of years ago. Oh, did he? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was like this, you know, there was a passed away. I don't know. It's gotta be like maybe 10 years ago at this point. Yeah, maybe more than 10 years ago. Were, were they another victory band? I don't think, I think they were on Century Media. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's right. Social media was signing, like, underground bands for a while. Yeah, it was like, they were part of that era when Century Media was like, uh, you know, I, I will, actually, let me let me fact check that because uh, <laughs> I don't want to mislead anybody. But, you know, Marauder was definitely the most metal out of all those bands, like, coming out of New York. I mean, even though, you know, New York always had, like, a very metal, hardcore sound, you know, even going back to, like, Chromags and and uh you know agnostic front and all that stuff but sure yeah see, master killer century media yeah they have three records on match century century media master it's killer five I... deadly venoms and brutality the ver the record mm. that came out in 2002 man that was on that century media as well wow it, yeah it's crazy to think i hate god on century media that what a weird pairing. That was insane, man. But hey, so was uh, boy, Buzz Oven was on Roadrunner. So yeah, that was another weird. Yeah, they were on Roadrunner. Is not even a label anymore, is it? We had this big discussion about whether or not Roadrunner exists yesterday in at band practice. <laughs> I was like, because uh, you know they they were uh, you know they put out a lot of great records, man. You know, fucking you know, Deicide like. Uh, you know Sepultura, yeah. like all those, all those bands. You know Fear Factory. That that buzz of yeah, that, buzz buzz, that one buzz oven record. It's great. It's, I think it's their only good record. It's my favorite for sure, man. Like yeah, it just sounds so evil, you know. They they were great uh, live around that time too. Those first few songs off of that record, I in my mind, have always been like they remind me of the. Um, like the soundtrack for like robbing a 7-Eleven, you know what I mean? Like it's, you roll up in a, or like, a, you know, like a, a, a Nova or something like that, like a late 70s. Yeah, Nova you're like. Into the parking lot of a 7-Eleven. <laughs> and you're like, you and your partners and like one guy's like in the back with a shotgun and you guys like are start huffing some paint fumes. And then you're, you're listening to that fucking buzz oven record as you drive over and you're sitting in the parking lot. <laughs> And they're just like, let's fucking go, man. They just fucking bust in. Give me the fucking money. And then, you, and then one guy, like, and then you leave. And then you just, they, you're in the car with, like, maybe, like, $200 in cash, you know. And fucking, you buy drugs and just, like, do drugs in a parking lot somewhere. Exactly. Uh, that is that is fucking perfect. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. I saw Buzz of them play, like, a hardcore fest in Connecticut with bands, like, like split lip and end point. Oh yeah. And uh, the crowd just did not know what the fuck to think of them. It was incredible. Yeah. The nineties hardcore, like I, like when I was a kid, I liked hardcore. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, like black, like black flag yeah, sure. transcends the heart being hardcore, but like, you know, black flag, circle jerks, suicidal, you know, yeah. Chromax. through the nineties, man. I just, I just, it wasn't feeling it. Like I wasn't feeling that whole, like, that trip of like endpoint and like mouthpiece and all these bands. And, uh, yeah, you know, I just wanted something more evil and he intense. And that's why that's where bands like buzz oven come in, I guess, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I liked some of that stuff in high school, but I always gravitated towards 
stuff like neurosis, you know, buzz of and dead guy today is the day. That was really more my thing. The hardcore scene too, was just, it was a different vibe from when we were doing. It was like, it was like the real like tough guy element that, that to it that I just never, never liked. And, uh, yeah, I mean, bands like Endpoint were more on the, uh, emo side of things. Right. But, That's something uh, I just could I never guess, get behind, man. I can never identify with like the posse yeah. bands, really. Yeah, and it's funny, like around that time, Victor was signing like a lot of interesting bands. Like I, I, they wanted to sign uh, Untamed, and they had Dead Guy, and yep. and then they just started like putting out this just really, I mean, bad shit. Yeah, Victory Record has uh, there's like an interesting trajectory with that record label because. They signed a lot of stuff that I don't like, you know, like Snapcase and and stuff like that, which I just, yeah. I just don't like that kind of music, really. I, I, I have to admit to liking them as a sophomore in high school. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, like when you're you going, I, you know, I'm quite a bit older than you, bro, so it's like, you know. <laughs> but uh, true. But the uh, but yeah, when I like Snapcase, not my thing. Uh, you know, Strife, not my thing. But then they yeah. did stuff like Integrity, uh, Bloodlet, Dead Guy. You know, that's definitely my my thing for st- stuff like that. Right. Yeah. You know, at that sure. stage of my life, and, you know. Then they started putting out bands with like spiky hair and like pop, and like, like basically like pop music. Well, you know, it, I, it, was, it was very weird. It was like that Victory has like artists on there that sold like a million records. So I'm not sure who or how many, but like it definitely blew up. I think as time went by and like it got harder and harder to sell records, they needed to go mm. where they could actually support themselves financially. And I think that's why these decisions were made over the years. You know, I think. Yeah. That, you know, maybe, maybe back in the 90s. You remember, I mean, also, once again, man, remember like there was like a pretty healthy independent distribution scene in the 90s. You know, you had uh, Mortem. Yeah. You had, uh, you know, Very Distro, uh, Lumberjack. You had all these companies that were like making, they were like legitimate places to work. Like Mortem, I think their employees had like health insurance and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's because people bought records at record stores. There were people who had like distros that bought from these distributors. And, you know, it was like an economy that happened in like a sort of microcosmic level that just went right. away once everything went digital and online, you know? Yeah. I mean, things have, have changed so much. It's a completely different landscape than it was in the nineties. And I think the movie business is going to go that way too. I mean, yeah. you know, we're about to talk about, uh, we're about to talk about the last decade of horror movies and like, uh, look how much that's changed with video on demand. Like these movies that probably would have never gotten made or, or released in a theater, they would have just been dumped to like a video store. Now they're, you can just pop it up on your TV. There it is. Do you? Th- I think and, that uh, that that sort of vibe actually has helped films quite a bit. Really, you know. Yeah, sure. Because you hear a lot of people talk about like, you know, Disney. It's all blockbusters now, and there's not a lot of room for the small movies. And that's where you know a video on demand platform kind of comes in. You can see like a. A ten million dollar movie, five million, one million, you know, something that you, know, you might not get a chance to see. Um, you know, like you said, there it is. It's on your TV now. Probably, probably one of the, and I think we're probably going to talk about like some of this guy's films, but um, I think that an emerging filmmaker from this whole 
like sort of scene is uh, is Joe Bagos. You know, we've yeah. been, I've been able to track Absolutely. his career from the, his first movie. You know, and um, you know, yeah, now, and then, yeah, that no, was, almost human. I mean, yeah, and and that's it was obviously a very low budget film, um, but I was I had access to it because of this whole you know video on view you know video on demand uh, world, mm-hmm. and now he's uh, poised to release uh, VFW. Which is a very like a, a way more whole, high profile sort of release, which is coming out soon, actually this year. I saw it at Beyond Chest uh, a couple months ago. Yeah, uh, it's great. It's, awesome. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, yeah, I look gonna, forward to like it, it, man. I totally look forward to it. You know, but uh, so anyway, you know. Yeah, with each. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you gonna say? So yeah. Oh no, I was just gonna say with each film, you can see him getting better and better at, at what he does. I, I really look forward to seeing what what he's gonna do next. Yeah, and you're you're uh, you're friends with that guy, aren't you? You know that guy. Yeah, we uh, we met on Twitter. On Twitter, <laughs> so some good things. Came, yeah, some good things came from on Twitter. I just started following because I liked his movie, and he followed me back. He's like, "Hey, dude, I was a I was a ISIS fan." I was like, "Well, cool. I like your movie." Awesome. And let's get a drink sometime, and we did. That's cool. Good man. dudes, him and 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 his uh, production partner Josh. They're great guys. Yeah, they're friends really with the guy uh, Danny Trudell, who runs Holy Mountain. Who is uh, the, he does our our online merchandise and you know merch printing and stuff like that. And Holy, Holy Mountain's like a oh. really sick, you know. I mean, it's not just music actually. He does like a lot of horror stuff and uh, you know, um, oh. you know Godzilla. Like he has a lot of different interests, and it's um, it's beyond just like a, a rock and roll like merch company. It's like very much like this kind of curated sort of vibe and you'll actually see that some of the some holy mountain shirts pop up in joe bagos's films yeah uh, holy mountain. i gotta check that out yes yeah. holymountainprinting.com okay i also work for a merch company we do like soundcloud rappers like face tattoos stuff like that Right on, man. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I got to be honest with you, man. You know, a lot uh, formerly of uh, dot dialect has yeah. actually turned me on to quite a bit of newer, like, hip-hop music that's pretty cool. That uh, Really? Yeah. Yeah. And, He's um, into some really different shit. I know that. Yeah, I mean, hanging out with that guy is a trip, man. He's he's like one of the funniest dudes I think I've ever met. You know? Oh man, yeah, I I toured with that guy several times. He's he's fucking hilarious. And uh, you know, Dialects was, uh, in my opinion, a very groundbreaking band, really, in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. I I feel like they've never gotten their the respect that they deserve, or at least the recognition, anyway. Bands love Dialects. We've toured with everybody, but it just seems like it never really crossed over to like this bigger success that I I, that I felt was always really owed to them. Like they're great. No one sounds like them. But like it just I don't know. Like hip hop people are like that's too noisy, it's just too too abstract. And I think some like more rock and roll audience is like oh it's too hip hop. Yeah, that sucks, you know? man. It does suck, you know. You think they would have found like an audience like that's similar to like you know Portishead or something like that, Some people who can accept like something a little outside of the norm, you know. You know, like ironically but, though, it's like uh, you know you talk about 
some of the early criticisms are like, oh, it's too noisy for like hip hop crowds. But there's like, a, a, particularly there's a song by this guy named Travis Scott. It's a song called Goosebumps. And if you listen to I'm that a, song, yeah. it sounds like a fucking dialect song, like the production and the um, like the beats and the vibe and just with like a different type of like, you know, kind of more like that mumbly like rap kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and that guy's like the biggest thing in the world right now too. Oh yeah, I didn't. I don't even. I don't yeah. know that man. I, I I have no knowledge of how how big anyone is in that world. I just know that there's certain shit that I think is cool. You know. Yeah, I, I think he like, was married to a Kardashian or dated one or something. Like he's like a a big, big you know, star. I guess. Oh wow, I didn't know that. It's like yeah. uh, that. That was something that Alap actually put on. A, um, he sent me a bunch of MP3s, and uh, like this gigantic, like I mean, like a gig of fucking music to listen to. And uh, Travis Scott was on there as something I should listen mm. to. And um, what's what's kind of cool is like if you approach it with a totally objective point of view, some a lot of that stuff to me reminds me of like Godflesh or like Yesu. Cause like a lot of the beats, a lot of the, the tempos are slower and, um, with like, you know, urban type of, uh, you know, vocals over the top of it, you know? Right. That makes sense too. I mean, Godflesh was heavily influenced and Justin Broderick in general was just like heavily influenced by hip hop. If you listen to like Godflesh's album Pure, there's an Eric B and Rakim beat on it. Yeah. That's, I mean, it, it, yeah. I feel like so, maybe some of the artists that, themselves are not necessarily influenced by Justin Broderick, but maybe the producers are on these like more modern like hip hop things. Yeah, I wonder. Like, you see a lot, a lot of hip hop dudes wearing like metal band shirts now and and, and shit like that. So. Yeah, that's a trend. Though. That, that's like that's a trend. Is it? Yeah, that that's like back. You remember like back in like like two thousand one, nineteen ninety nine. You'd see like. In Williamsburg, you'd see these like women with like Iron Maiden T-shirts on, but they don't have any idea who Iron Maiden was. Yeah, well, I, you see that a lot now with like the, the the Joy Division shirt. Like it's it's just a symbol. Like people, a lot of people wearing that shirt probably have no idea what what Joy Division was. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. All right, so. One of the one of the reasons, aside from us just uh, two two old friends just getting together for a Sunday chat, uh, one of the reasons why <laughs> why we got together is uh, both Jeff and I are huge fans of the horror genre, and um, absolutely, we're now in 2020, and we wrapped up um, a decade of films, and we wanted to do like a very uh, abbreviated retrospective of the last 10 years in horror films. And maybe we're going to pick out like our, what we think are our top 10 favorites of the last 10 years, as well as some honorable mentions. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really interested. How many honorable mentions? Oh, dude, I got, Sorry, like, Mike. I got to say, I got one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 <laughs> I got I like a, maybe like 11 or something like that but I, I, I narrowed mine down to six are you you can add four more if you want man it's cool I mean <laughs> there's so many I, yeah. I feel like like this period between um two, you know 2010 and, tw and 2019 are were probably that was an awesome time and a lot of it had to do with what you were talking about is the uh the rise of the VOD 
you know, in that market. You know, we, we didn't just yeah. like rely on like major studios to release movies that were good and conceptually, uh, you know, satisfying. Uh, absolutely. I mean, narrowing this down was hard. Like when we initially talked about it, I, I got up to like 35 movies. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, any of them are, are worthy of a, of a top 10 spot. I mean, there's so much good stuff out there. Especially this decade, I think we're in a new golden era of horror. There's a lot, a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. What criteria did you use to separate the top 10? Um, yeah, I rewatched a, a bunch of these in the last couple of weeks. And I just, what, uh, I just wanted to keep it to like films that were just unique and just really stuck with me. Like I really had a hard time shaking it after I saw it. Yeah. You know, more than like, oh, that was fun. You know, these these films really like stayed with me, and they're ones I find myself talking about a lot. And uh, I I was pretty sure what my top five was going to be, but uh, it was like the you know ten to six, and the honorable mentions a little bit more difficult. You know, I kind of started with oh, maybe like I'll just have every genre uh, represented or every year, but then I thought, oh, you're just eliminating all this stuff. So I just went with what really stuck with me. Yeah, it's, it's hard, man. That, that was pretty much um, that was similar to my criteria. My criteria was if I had rewatched it multiple times and if it mm-hmm. was something that was that I, I kept thinking about that sparked like a new sort of train of thought for me about the different types of concepts that were presented in the film. You know what I mean? Like, uh, right. so right. that, that was kind of like my criteria, you know, then the, so I guess like with that in mind, the runner ups are more of like, maybe I thought were, you know, awesome and fun, but, uh, didn't really have the same impact as the top 10 on me, you know? And that's not to say they mm-hmm. weren't great movies. They just impacted me differently. Right. Yeah. yeah so similar. Yeah. All right. So you want to start with your honorable mentions, or Let, let's do uh, let's start with ten, and then we'll do a, a, okay. a, a little bit more of a quicker rundown. Just we don't have to go into in depth about the the, the sort of runner ups. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Okay, you want to go first? All right, cool. So coming in at number ten is Bone Tomahawk, and that's uh, 2015 uh. by S. Craig Zoller, and um, more recently uh. he's. He's uh, a, a, an author and, and filmmaker that I've really started started to uh, to follow. I mean, he did uh, Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine, Dragged Across Concrete, also great. And yep. um, you know, those movies had like you know Kurt Russell, David Arquette, uh, you know Vince Vaughn was in it. Uh, Dragged Across Concrete has the always uh, controversial. Um, the fuck's Mel his name? Gibson, Mel right? Gibson. <laughs> the always right. controversial well, Mel Gibson's in that, and uh, and also as, as a result of my enjoyment of those movies, I started reading his, his fiction, and it's it's really cool. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I'm glad you brought up Bone Tomahawk. That was on my list for the longest time, and it's it's not written down anywhere here now. Really? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Yeah, but yeah, Bone Tomahawk, man. Like, there's something really poetic about about his dialogue and the way the characters speak. The world felt feels really lived in and, and authentic, and 
I mean, at that ending will be talked about forever. It's probably one of the most brutal scenes ever in a movie. Yeah, totally. And and I think that and, uh, we could both agree that Zoller doesn't shy away from brutality. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, there's at least one scene in every one of his movies that's like, oh, man, <laughs> uh, that, I'm just gonna, that's going to be hard to shake. Yeah. He's also and, uh, a controversial no, a guy, thing. too. Like, a lot of people, like, don't like him because they think he's, like, some right-wing sort of guy. Yeah. I, yeah, that is the perception, isn't it? Like, and I can see how you could see, like, that in his movies he has sort of this nihilistic worldview. Uh, I'm not really sure what his politics are, but, you know, I guess casting Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson at this point, some people see that as a political statement. Um, I try not to think about that and just enjoy the movie Vince Vaughn has has uh, some controversy around him too I didn't know that yeah he's a he's a right-wing guy and actually just recently I think it was a, he was shown chatting with the president at a college football game and uh, I guess Twitter went a little crazy but uh, it really shouldn't be a surprise to anyone yeah Vince Vaughn has been openly right-wing I didn't I didn't know that yeah there's, there's a few righties in Hollywood. Not many. I can um, imagine being in L.A. and being a Republican or a right-wing sort of guy can be very unpopular. Yeah, I, they exist. I mean, they must. It's, it's outside of the, you know, you reach a certain tax bracket. I'm, I'm sure you start, you start to think more conservatively. That'd be my guess. I'm never going to reach that tax bracket, so. <laughs> yeah, me, too, me neither, man. Um, <laughs> but There's always hope. <laughs> The fucked up thing, though, is like, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, you and I have talked ad nauseum about this, how some shit is just isn't political, especially the arts, in my opinion. You know what I mean? And and you can, right. like, oh, yeah. if you're looking, you can find whatever you're looking for if you look hard enough, I guess. And, like, I'm going to bring up, like, a you know, how certain certain people get a pass and certain people don't, you know? And, sure. You know, the fucking bad brains, dude. It's like. You know, so many of these like people fail or deny the overt, like homophobic, you know, rhetoric of these guys. Sometimes, you know what I mean. And it's just like that's true. Yeah, yeah it's fucked up. It's true. like no one. I mean, I love the Bad Brains. I'm not gonna. I don't. I don't take. I mean, they're a fucking groundbreaking band. But like most people, sure. they're co they're complicated. They have fucking assets, different different aspects to who they are, and different nuances to who they are as people. And if you liked someone's art, you don't necessarily have to agree with their politics. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's great when it aligns with your agenda, but I don't, I right. don't consider that to be a, a requirement for what I appreciate artistically. Yeah. I can separate the art from the artist as long as the art that they're making isn't something I explicitly, you know, disagree with. Like I can listen to a band made out of Christians but I can't listen to like a Christian rock band. I yeah. disagree with, with the message that they're saying. You know, like, uh, like I'm a big Roman Polanski fan. He's one of the best directors ever. I've been talking about horror films. He's made a couple of great ones, but he's kind of a repulsive human being. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, and, and, and I appreciate his work too, you know. Right, yeah. Um, moving on to, to my 10, uh, not a controversial movie at all. Uh, it is The Invitation from 2015, 
Karen uh, Kusumo was the director. Uh, I, I don't know if a lot of people saw this one. Did you see this? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, this one like kind of took me by surprise. I didn't really know much about it. I just saw it was on Netflix. And my friend who, who had seen it said, it's not what you think it is. It, it goes places you don't think it's going to go. So I went in totally blind. And uh, I absolutely loved it. I love these kind of smaller contained horror films. It mostly takes place in a house over one night. It's a dinner party. And not to get too spoilery, the uh, host has uh, ulterior motives. And, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of anything to do with cults or yeah. occult things like that. And, uh, you know, this movie, like I said, came out of nowhere. And uh, I just really enjoyed it. I think it's really well acted, tightly directed. You know, it doesn't run on too long. It's paced really well. And uh, I think it's a movie uh, or finish to check out. Yeah, I, I kind of stumbled upon that because I think it was on Netflix when I saw it. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's when I first saw it. And it was one of these things where I was like, you know, it was like a weeknight or something. And I was like, man, I, you know, I want to watch a movie. And I just it just popped up in my feed and I was like, yeah, this looks interesting. And I really enjoyed it. And, uh, it had a very claustrophobic vibe to it because it does take place just almost in real time, like in, in right. a, in a one particular house, you know, and then the ending, the ending really took me by surprise. And I'm not, that's all I'll say about the ending. Right. It keeps kind of pushing and pulling. Like you don't really know if anything's happening or not. And there's a few instances like, oh, something's going on. And they're like, oh, no, it's not. And uh, there's a definitive answer to that yeah. in the end. And uh, it's great. That's another thing I always look for in a horror movie, just a great ending. Not necessarily a twist or anything like that, but just, again, like something that just hammers you right in the head and you're like oh, i'm not going to forget that for a while yeah it's funny that you talk about endings because even though i love stephen king uh i feel like he's endings sometimes are not the strong points of his storytelling you know um i completely agree i was talking to someone about uh in the tall grass i don't know if that's on your list but it's definitely not on mine no. and i called it classic it's classic stephen king where it starts off great and intriguing and just gets really fucking stupid by the end. Yeah, yeah. It's, there's a couple of exceptions. Like, I, I know that HBO is making a... Uh, they're, they're in the middle of, um, you know, of the, 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 the series version of this. But The Outsider, the novel, had a pretty oh, good right. ending. Oh, right. We just started watching it. Yeah, great. Oh, okay. Excellent. Good. You know, the, the ending was good. Uh, like that book, I remember... You know, I, I read almost every most of the things that come out. He puts out so many books, but like I read a lot of his new stuff when it comes out. I'll pick it up and read it. And um, that book, I, I think I read it in like three days or something. It was just from the get go. Just oh wow, you know, it starts off. There's all these interviews, and and you're just like drawn into this whole narrative. And uh, I like plowed through it in like three days. And uh, and yeah, once again, they, I mean, the ending was good. It was one of the. Uh, I hate to say exceptions, but it was one of the times when he actually delivers on a good ending. That's that's good to know. Aaron Harris is actually the one who convinced me to watch that. You got to watch it. I was like, yeah, it's Stephen King. It's going to end stupid. So, <laughs> but it, the first couple episodes are really good. I, I totally and I'm hooked. I'll yeah, be watching to the end. It, it almost has like a true detective kind of vibe to it, you know. That's exactly what we said. Like this could be True Detective season four. Yeah, man, yeah, that's that's. 
fucking true detective man that first you just can never get past that first season man that first season was so good man it was really good man like i know like you know, that, that guy gets criticized from you know stealing from writers like thomas legati i don't know if you're a legati fan but i don't you know i think does. conceptually he steals from legati but i don't think the tone of his writing is anything like legati no no not at all not at all but yeah i i enjoyed all three seasons of true detective uh for different reasons i mean people love the shit on season two but it, it had some some strong elements i agree with you on that i th- I, I liked all three i think the mm-hmm. my, by far the first is the bet my favorite the third one i thought was awesome and the first one was good yeah. didn't love it but it was good you know i definitely liked yeah. it yeah, it, it started off stronger and then it kind of got a little weak by the end. But yeah, it's not bad. It just it, that's a tough act to follow. You know, like uh, Nick, Carrie Nick Fukunaga. Well, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was just gonna say Carrie Fukunaga directing every episode of season one. I mean, that guy's a, a, a great director. And again, you know, that's tough to top. Yeah, yeah. Have you uh, checked out any of Nick Pizzolatto's writing? Because, I mean, he has a couple of, he has, like, short stories and, like, a novel and things like that. I don't think I have. Maybe in, like, one of the, like, I have, like, a million horror anthology books. If he has anything in one of those, and maybe I read it, but I definitely never read any of his novels. There's a novel out there called Galveston by Nick Pizzolatto that's uh, pretty awesome. It's uh, not a horror type of uh, novel, but it's more of a, um, you know, it's within the crime genre, let's say. And it has almost like a Jim Thompson sort of thing going on. And it just has like a very brutal, like negative ending. You know what I mean? <laughs> cool. I have to check that out. I've been uh, meaning to read more since I remember when we used to tour all the time. I'd, I'd read a lot, you know, since that's yeah. obviously stuff. I don't, I don't seem to read as much. <laughs> Not proud of it. <laughs> I can't read in, the, in a, <laughs> I can't read in the van. Like I just, I get car sick, believe it or not. Yeah, I, I never had a problem with it. I was always like in the guy in the loft, just reading. You know, you know that's that's how I dealt with like the long, especially in Europe, mm. when uh, you get like one day off on a tour. But yeah. uh, all right, uh, moving on. Yeah. So for nine, I have a movie called The Clove Hitch Killer, and uh, oh man, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, 2018. Directed by Duncan Skiles and written by Christopher Ford. Stars Dylan McDermott, Charlie Plummer, Samantha Mathis, and Madison Beattie. And uh, they're in and of itself, these kind of like nostalgic, like 80s, like horror films, you know, horror, like, you know, Stranger Things, things like that. There's also Summer of 84, uh, which came out around the same time. But Clovich Killer mm-hmm. just operated on like a different level completely yeah uh i'm kind of kicking myself for not even remembering to put that on the list i i loved it too yeah it's great you know and dylan mcdermott it's like a i, I think is an underrated actor really oh absolutely and that performance is it's pretty masterful i mean again it, it keeps you guessing you're not really sure is he or isn't he is he, is he the guy and uh, I, I love it. I think it got the stuff with the kids right. You know, they, they act like like high school kids act. Yeah, it's great. And uh, it was, yeah, it was completely uh, believable and authentic. Uh, we just rewatched it every October. Um, 
my girlfriend and I make a list of things we want to watch, things we want to show each other. And that was one of the movies I wanted her to see. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, man. And like I was saying, there's, there was a couple of other films that came around that, that same time. And like Summer of 84, I think I watched Summer of 84 and Clovich Killer like within a week of each other. And Summer yeah, of 84 was like, too. yeah, it's just mm. fun, you know, whatever. It's, but it wasn't nearly as good as this. No, I mean, I think that's the opposite. Like the way the kids acted yeah. in that, it was very stilted and felt unnatural and some adult idea of how kids act. And it's weird, the tonal shift in the end of that movie. It's pretty lighthearted movie until like the last 15 minutes. It gets like real dark. It took me for a... Yeah, uh, yeah. Another movie that came out around then, uh, Super Dark Times. Uh, did you see that one? Yes, I did. I totally forgot about that one. I think that might have made this list as well. <laughs> yeah, it just popped into my head now too, so... Uh, yeah, that, that, that was a, a really good one. Summer of 84 was fun. It's not something I ever recommend. Yeah, uh, the guy... See it or don't. The guy who's like the cop looks like the dude that plays guitar and Converge, I think. That guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like kind of, Maybe it is. It's kind of like this soft, like doughy guy, you know? <laughs> Maybe he's got an acting career we don't know about. It's like a secret acting career. <laughs> Well, um, my number nine is a Polish film from 2015, directed by Marcin Rona. It's called Demon. Oh, yeah, man. Okay. Go ahead. Did you see that? Um, a great movie. A uh, horror movie takes place at a wedding, which if you've ever, ever been to a wedding, you know, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. uh, it's another one of those things, like this guy is either having complete mental breakdown or is possessed. And uh, it, it keeps you guessing. And the central performance by the actor whose name I, I can't remember is fantastic. He, he has to carry a lot of the movie. He, he does a great job. And uh, this movie kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I heard a little bit about it. And I was excited to check it out. And I loved it. And I, was like, I can't wait to see what this director does next. But uh, tragically, he, he hung himself shortly after he completed this movie. Yeah, man, you know, I heard about this film on, I don't know if you listen to the Shockwaves podcast, but I don't. That they mentioned this, and I was like, oh, yeah, this has to, I have to see this. And um, where is this available? Can you like stream um, it somewhere or like on a, like a Amazon or something like that or iTunes? I believe it is on Amazon. Yeah, and you can definitely rent it on iTunes. I think that's how I saw it initially. I've seen this one twice. Damn. And uh, there's just a great atmosphere of, of dread from from beginning to end, and uh, it, it's it's really truly really tragic, man. It's too bad the guy had a, he had a lot of talent. Oh, it's on Shutter actually. Oh, there you go. So yeah, I I, I have a Shutter subscription, so I'm I'm just gonna add, I'm adding it right now to my uh, my watch list. Boom. Yeah. Cool. It's great. It's you know it's more of a subtle horror film. It's not really particularly gory or anything like that. It just relies mostly on, you know, a tense atmosphere and, and that lead performance. You know, I think that in general movies have, uh, people are too impatient with films these days. And, uh, unless it gets right to the point right away, people get 
get uh you know sort of they lose interest in a weird way you know and you know that that wasn't always the case like some of the best movies i some of my favorite movies like from the 70s like they take like for example uh once upon a time in the west that that opening scene is like fucking like 10 minutes long or something like that with no dialogue or something you know and uh it just right. i love that i love when films have this like pacing that draws you into the vibe of the movie and creates like an atmosphere and you kind of slowly like are drawn in. That's like some of my favorite filmmaking. Me too. And I'm not like a PT Anderson fan or even like a huge fan of there will be blood in general, but like I believe the first 17 minutes of that movie has zero dialogue. Yeah. It's cool. And uh, I love stuff like that. I love quieter <laughs> movies for sure. And I think people really want more of a thrill ride now. Like, even in horror, like, you know, the mainstream audience is that they want, like, something more like The Conjuring, you know? They don't have the patience for something, a movie like Demon or something like that. Or... Yeah, there's a movie that comes to mind which is not on this list because I did not see it until recently that is all atmosphere and I think is probably on your list. So I'm not going to mention the name of that film, but... Okay. Uh, you know, but that's once again, it's all atmosphere, just two characters, and it such such a tone of the film that, and it's all about that. It's all about this vibe. You know what I mean? And that yeah. would would have been on my list had I actually watched it within the time frame that we're talking about. So. Cool. Well, if it's not on mine, tell me. Tell me I will. What it I is will. At the end I'll so keep that in mind up. when we get to the all end right. of this. All right. Yeah. All right. So uh, you're number eight. The Maniac remake from 2012, directed by nice. uh, Frank Calfoon. He uh, he did the Amityville movie, and uh, it was written by Ale Alessandra Aya. High tension, holds yeah. of eyes, you know, Piranha Three or Triple D, or whatever the hell it's called. <laughs> it's got his fingerprints all over. <laughs> yeah, it's got his fingerprints all over. Like I, I, I was. That's not my honorable mentions. That was teetering in my top ten. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it's a, I, I was shocked to go back and see. Oh, he didn't direct it. Like I kind of thought he did. Nah, it seems like he did too. Because uh, yeah. I'm a fan of all of his other films, the European movies he made, and I and I I also like the Hills Have Eyes remake he did quite a bit. Yeah, that's that's a brutal film. I remember seeing in the theater and people uh, walking out. There, there's a I, very the very short that. list of of remakes that I like. You know what I mean? Like like those two. And the Dawn of the Dead remake, I thought was cool, you know. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I know um, that it's got like a new metal like remake vibe to it, but you know, whatever. I thought I still yeah, thought it, it was cool. It, it was of its time. It's weird to think that that's a Zack Snyder film. It's so different from anything he would go on to do. Yeah, you know. But and, uh, there's a lot to talk about with, with with Maniac. I mean, it is so good. The music, uh, the late night tone of it uh you know they change the setting from new york to la and it really doesn't you know you don't miss anything there i think it's possible to like the original and the and the remake you know what i mean i think that you can't it shouldn't be like a one or the other because i mean i love joe spinell i mean he's like my fucking you know spirit animal man i fucking love joe spinell <laughs> you know and yeah and then when i first heard about a movie with elijah wood playing the the main you know the killer the maniac, Joe. I think his name is Joe in the movie. 
And, yeah, so and I'm like, like how the hell are you going to, how are you going to cast <laughs> Elijah Wood to play the role that Joe Spinell played? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and, it was a strange choice. <laughs> but the reactualization of the movie, it fucking makes sense, man. And I think Elijah Wood is like, I, I actually really like Elijah Wood as an actor. You know? Yeah, he's great. And behind the scenes, too, he's a huge genre fan. His company right. produces a lot of horror movies. You know, and, yeah, I, I have a lot and, of respect for him, man. Sure. And he's, he's, he's great in this. Like, he plays the fucking creep really well, but he plays a different kind of creep than the guy in the original. Like, um, this is definitely slicker, less grindhouse, more, more art house. Yeah. I, I thought. And the controversial opinion, uh, I like this better than the original. I don't, I don't hold the original in the highest regard like a lot of people do. I don't think I've seen it since I was like 12. But, uh, but this, I recently rewatched it in, in October, and, you know, it, it holds up. It's probably about 10 years old at this point. Uh, um, yeah, 2012 what, came out, so it's, you know, it's eight years oh, old. Oh, okay, eight yeah. years yeah. What did you think of the point of view concept? Because when I first heard that, I thought that was a really dumb idea, but I found myself kind of forgetting about it. I like think that the film. this was probably one of the best usages of that plot device, of that narrative device. Is uh, Mostly yeah. it falls short with me because I've never, the, the found footage kind of films that are all point of view, I think kind of suck. Right. But I, yeah, I really, there's a couple good ones, but yeah. Yeah, but this this one, it worked, man. And I actually didn't even, it didn't even, um, like after a while, I just was like, oh, you know, this is the movie, you know? Right. It's funny you brought up sound footage because I almost feel like that's what the, the producers wanted it to be. And there was probably some sort of argument of like, no, and this is what they settled on. Yeah, maybe. But uh, it works and it makes the shots where it goes outside of this point of view more interesting i think it makes the movie a little bit more interesting and uh this is great that's one i i, I talk about a lot but it is controversial people seem to like either love it or hate it it's that kind of movie. yeah i agree with that i know people that didn't like it at all you know yeah it, you know it it does its own thing enough to justify it existing it just doesn't go through the beats of like soulless remakes like the previous decade had a lot of those movies that studio Platinum Doom was just pumping out remakes from like studio directors, you know, and they were just solely to make cash. It seemed like like the Friday Thirteenth, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Nightmare on Street, all those movies, they can be remade. You can do something cool with them, but they didn't. Yeah, I feel like uh, the My Bloody Valentine remake actually had some good points to it. Honestly, I don't know if you did. Saw you that. see? I did. I didn't see the remake for that. I did see the remake of the town that dreaded sundown. Another movie. Fuck it. I, I totally left that off the list too. <laughs> I didn't know that That's even came out. They too. made. A, they have a remake of that movie. Yeah, it's great. It's sort of like a, a remake, a sequel, and like a meta sequel. But the, the original film exists in the remake. Huh. It's a huge part of the plot. It was much better than I expected. It was a big surprise. I definitely recommend that. I didn't even you know that existed, out. man. Yeah, it's good. All right. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, actually, real eight. quick about about um, oh sure about uh, Maniac. That also you mentioned the score, and I feel like that might have been like um, one of the first movies to to start that trend of those like electronic scores, like those kind of retro 
um, you know, sort of 80s sounding synth scores that really became popular? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. Like this and maybe it follows was like yeah. the first time I noticed like, Hey, wow, these scores are fucking great. This is like something Carpenter would do. Yep. And you're seeing it a bit more now. So you gotta be really good at it for, 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 for it to stand out. Like, um, again, Joe Begos, he uses, uh, Steve Moore as his composer in all of his movies. And he kind of does that synthy thing. And I don't think there's anyone better than him doing it right now. Nah, Steve Moore is the top of the food chain for that stuff, man. You know, zombie, absolutely. Like his band Zombies, great, and all that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Didn't Zombie um, tour with ISIS once? Uh, a few times, yeah. yeah few we times, went right? to. Uh, I think we did. We did the coasts with them, and uh, the UK. Um, maybe a little bit of Europe. I can't remember. They were great. They were. They were cool guys, and I really, really like watching their band. It's fucking phenomenal. Yeah, they, watching I, Steve play like 20, 20 instruments on stage. <laughs> Is there anything this guy can't do? Yeah, that dude's super talented, man. I fucking yeah. admire, admire that guy for sure. Yeah, I ran into him uh, at the, uh, when I saw VFW. It was just cool to see him again. It's been like a decade. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I guess we're on to seven. We're on to no eight. I haven't done. Yeah, you do year eight yet. Yep. Uh, okay. Mine is just from uh, 2018, the house that Jack built by Lars von Trier. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's so much in this movie. I mean, it's two and a half hours long, and it's a Lars von Trier film. So you know, there's endless points to talk about. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh. It's a very much a Lars von Trier film where it's disturbing, well, sh it's incredibly well shot, it's incredibly self indulgent, and it's really, really funny when you when it really shouldn't be. I uh, haven't I seen it, man. Matt Believe Dillon, it or not, I didn't see this. Really? One. Yeah. Oh man. I know. I Matt feel like Dillon, a clown. I feel like a real like I really <laughs> let everybody down by not knowing this film intimately. <laughs> well, it, it's broken up into five. Uh, incident and he's a serial killer and he just is talking to someone off camera you don't you don't ever see him till the end um spoilers maybe so he's going over like his five five kills that that he, he deems important i guess and shows a little bit of his background as a child there's some really disturbing stuff with that and animals and this isn't based on a real serial killer but it seems to be really well researched Mm -hmm. As for like the way serial killers grow up, though, and their methods, why they do things. Um, there's some funny stuff with him having a, a, a stress of compulsive disorder. He has to clean the crime scene uh, over and over and over again. And it shows like the process of him attempting to drive away, but he thinks, oh, there might be blood behind the, uh, the painting on the wall. And it's, it's a great film. Uh, I just read that there's a director's cut coming out with like five minutes oh. of extra footage. Oh, cool. I honestly don't know if I need to see that. <laughs> this movie has some really disturbing stuff, again, involving children, just uh, brutal murders. And just when you think the film is going on too long, it has one of the best last 20 minutes I've ever seen. Uh, it just goes in a completely new direction. And, and it's really great. I don't want to spoil it for you, so I'll, I'll keep that under wraps. But this is uh, this is great, and this is Lars von Trier 
at his completely unhinged. He's such an interesting filmmaker. He just doesn't give a fuck and just does exactly what he wants to do. And uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And I, this is one of the times it worked. Actually, the uh, the house that Jack built, Director's Cut, is available now. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's on uh, it's on Amazon Prime Video. Oh, yeah. I, I like it, The cut I saw was was pretty brutal. I, it felt NC-17 to me or unrated. Um, I know the movie really infuriated a lot of people, like his films tend to do. I was glad he made something good after making the five-hour uh, porn that he made. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. I, I, I try to see all of his films, you know what I mean? I, I like Von Trier, even though... I, I he's always interesting let's say and I'm not saying yeah, I absolutely. love everything he's done like I actually didn't really like Nymphomaniac that much you know what I mean and um, no I hated it actually I hated yeah. it I, I thought it was really just I don't understand what I'm supposed to get out of that yeah Antichrist I thought was great and uh you know his other Me films uh, you know Dancer in the Dark all that stuff was really cool um but yeah you know, and just just to be clear, man, I wanted to see this movie. You know, it's like I I feel like I have to justify the fact that I did not watch this because when I first heard about it, it was like Von Trier, Matt Dillon, who I like, big fan of Matt mm -hmm. Dillon's, um, and you know, just sometimes, man, I just get too fucking busy, man. I can't do all these things. I just I I, I just I just can't do it sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's okay, man. You're you're forgiven on. Oh. I forgive you. I try. I try to get it all in. Sometimes <laughs> I just can't do it. And so, anyway. This is so up your alley. Like, this is, when you see it, it's going to be your new favorite movie. I fucking, I guarantee it. I just, uh, as we're speaking, purchased it on Amazon, the director's cut, so I'll watch it later, you know. Yeah, but, let, me, let me know what you think. That's how much faith I have in you, Jeff. I, I, sight unseen, oh, I fucking bought this movie on your recommendation. <laughs> I hope I don't steer you wrong because I get a lot of angry texts from people being like, dude, that sucked. Nah, man, it's going to be good. <laughs> well, not that movie, just movies in general. <laughs> me too, man, believe me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think we're at year seven. Okay, uh, my number seven uh, is It Follows from 2014, written and directed by uh, David Robert Mitchell. And um, I really... I, there's really not much to say about this film besides the fact that it's awesome and it's like has this anachronistic sort of vibe to it, which I really appreciated mm. where it, you kind of feel like it took, takes place in the eighties, you know, but right. The chick but, pulls yeah. out like this fucking like sidekick, like mobile phone or something like that. Yeah. It's like, a weird thing. cell phone is never brought up again. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Right. It's weird. <laughs> Very stuff like um, that. I love. I love like those little quirks that movies have sometimes. Me too. And I, my theory is like the it's so dreamlike. Like even like the instance where she pulls out the phone, like the tone of the movie. I can almost see myself describing to someone like, oh, "Fuck, I had this weird dream last night. This thing was following me around, but it was a different person every time." And and we tried to trap it in a swimming pool, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it has this real dreamlike feel to it and logic. And, um, yeah, I mean, that guy's an interesting filmmaker. I don't know if you saw his new movie, Under the Silver Lake. Not yet, no. I know about it, though, but I haven't seen it. Uh, I've seen it twice, and I still don't know if I love it or hate it. That's kind of good sometimes, way. though, you know? 
you know, can't tell right away. Yeah. Uh, I saw it the first time with my girlfriend. She hated it. <laughs> so, uh, and most of my friends did too. But, like, something about it took me back to see it again. And I still, there's so much about it to admire. Um, I'll say It Follows is one of the only movies I watched twice in one day. I really? watched it in the morning. Yeah, I watched it in the morning. And then at night, uh, back when I was married, I was like, do you want to watch It Follows? <laughs> I, I just couldn't stop thinking about it. So I watched it again. Um, yeah, I love that movie. Uh, it's in my honorable mentions somehow. Like, I thought it would be much higher in the list. Like, and it just didn't make the cut, I guess. What a couple of things but, uh, like I, I agree about the dreamlike quality to it, and it did. And this is some of the thoughts I had about the dream aspect of it is like hmm. there's a couple of different metaphors I think in the film that were brought out. Like you know, obviously there's like uh, you know sexually transmitted diseases. Like that's the obvious one. Sure, you know what I mean. Right. But the relentlessness at which this whatever you want to call it pursues different people. It's almost like. It has to me, it had it resonated in a way where some of the things that are haunting you from your past, like you might mm. manifest themselves in a dream in a similar way to this movie. You know what I mean? Like sometimes like you have dreams and like, you know, something it's not, you know, it, it, something that's completely different than the actual thing in the dream is really right. what you're, what's in, in your subconscious. You know, maybe something that you've never really addressed from, like, years and years ago is following you around and, like, coloring the way that you interact with people and, like, haunting you in your dreams. And that's kind of, like, what I took away from the movie, too, in addition to the obvious, you know, STD scare, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, that's a really smart way to look at it. And uh, he seems like a smart filmmaker. I'm sure that's... Uh, yeah, I'm sure what you're seeing is probably uh, or thinking is in, in, intentional. That's it's a it's a great movie and also great final shot too. Yeah, totally, man, loved it. And yeah. also, uh, once again, like disaster piece uh, film score. Like you know, this movie was also one of those uh, early entries into the uh, retro synth film score world. Yeah. Like one of the sort of like yeah. you know perpetrators of that. Sure. Yeah. Great, great score. Uh, great movie. Um, my number seven, this might be the movie you, you mentioned earlier. It's from 2014 directed by, uh, Leah Jennick. It, uh, it's called honeymoon. That's not the film, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Did you no, see this one? Yeah, it was awesome. I, I enjoyed it. Man. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the ones I had on the list to rewatch and I loved it even more on, on the second viewing. It's a small film. I, it focuses on two people, but there's really only four people in the entire cast. Mm -hmm. uh, cabin in the woods movie, you know, a couple on their honeymoon, go to a cabin in the woods, strange lights, strange things start happening. And this like joyous occasion that it's supposed to be slowly starts to crumble. And again, like you wonder, are you watching a supernatural horror film? Is this something more psychological? Is this a, a drama? It kind of, it doesn't really give you any answers, but the more it goes along, you piece it together. And in the end, it's another kind of thing I like. It avoids a lot of like horror tropes 
You know, there's no, like, they band together to fight the evil thing. It just, it moves along, and then it's over, and shit goes very, very wrong. <laughs> and nothing in the end is really explained to you. You're not really sure what happened. And that, to me, is a more interesting kind of mystery, one that's not necessarily solved. It leaves you to turn it over in your head. Yeah, I like and, stuff like uh, that, yeah. Yeah, two people, you know, uh, have to carry the movie. They do the, the actors do a good job. It's a tight uh, eighty-seven minutes. It doesn't wear out. It's welcome, uh, but it's not paced too fast. It moves really well. Uh, I'm surprised to see this director. She hasn't directed a feature film since. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why, but this is a this is a a good example of just tone, atmosphere, setting acting everything just firing the way it should be and yeah, again i found i found the ending that, that that final minute highly disturbed me it, it stayed with me and that's why that's why i made the top 10 awesome yeah that's a good one so uh my number six is a girl walks home alone at night from uh, 2014 it's uh per- i had that in my honorable mentions Persian-produced vampire western, shot in Los, <laughs> shot in California somewhere, I believe. And uh, uh, God, yeah, I can't remember the name of the town, but yeah, I think I've actually been there. Yeah, uh, the film was directed and uh, imagined by Anna Lily Amapur, with a uh, cinematography <laughs> by Lyle Vincent, and uh, the vampire is played by Sheila Vond, and it's um. Like, aside from it being a great movie, uh, culturally, it's, it's cool because, like, the, you know, the per, you know Persia, Iran, is, is uh, a fund, religiously fundamental. It's a fundamentalist mm-hmm. uh, sort of vibe in that country. And um, a film like this might actually result in the filmmaker being thrown in jail or something like that, you know what I mean? Or, or even worse, maybe, you know what I mean? So on that right. on that level alone, I give it props. But it's just like a different type of vampire film, and I and I love you know I love all the the, the horror standards like werewolves and vampires, things like that. And um, yep. it has like a like a very strong sort of f- uh, feminist sort of slant to it, without being cringy, sure. you know, without being like a hashtag Me Too cringy, you know. And I'm not saying right, I disagree right. with the Me Too movement. I'm just saying that sometimes right, shit right. gets heavy-handed in movies, you know. So don't get excited out there yeah. and you know try to frame <laughs> me as some sort of misogynist because that's not true. Um, Absolutely, I, I second that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and um, um, but the fact that I'm not a misogynist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good. And that this movie's great. Yeah, you know, and and it's um it's a very unique take on like an ancient you know, horror standard. And I, and I really appreciated that. It's shot in black and white. It's got an outstanding soundtrack, yeah. you know, and which I actually, I went out and bought the soundtrack and it was like, Oh, cool. Yeah. It was like cool music. You know, I probably would have never heard, you know, it's great. And, um, yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah. The black and white looks so good. I'm not sure this movie would really even be as good if it was in, in color. It's hard to um, imagine it in color, honestly. Absolutely, yeah. It's it, it just so atmospheric, and yeah, that, that's a a great movie. The one that I consider from from my number ten. Uh, it's, again, yeah, one I recommend 
a lot. And that's one people seem to enjoy too. Yeah. Great soundtrack. Once again. Um, yes. Uh, my next movie is, uh, 2014. Well, it was my number six. It's your number six. Yep. Two th- 2014, The Babadook, directed by Jennifer Kent. Uh, this movie came like a lot of hype. I remember I took a lift, and my lift driver was also a film critic, <laughs> and he just seen this at a, he just seen it at a festival, and was going on and on and on about it. He's like, "You're a horror fan. You got to see The Babadook. You got to see it. You got to see it." So finally, again, I think this was a video on demand. I, I don't quite remember how I saw it. It wasn't in theater. Um, this was another movie uh, on the list that I watched twice in one day, once in the morning and once at night. Cause my first viewing, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. It, it was came with all this hype, great reviews from critics, raves, and it didn't quite connect with me as much as I thought it would first time around. I think I was expecting more of a, a straightforward horror film and what was uh, definitely more of a psychological rather than supernatural and second viewing I really loved it and rewatched it again a couple weeks ago and completely like solidified that I love this movie it's scenes are are not they're not subtle they're not complex it deals a lot with with grief and stress and uh, I, I think they're handled really well and um this is a great movie. Have you seen it? I have. I've seen it a couple times, actually, and uh, I really quite liked it. Um, definitely uh, an, an analog for grief. Um, yeah. Very unique sort of film. Um, yeah, totally enjoyed it. Thought it was great. Yeah, I, it's... I mean, talk about... That kid does a phenomenal job because I wanted to like fucking murder him 15 minutes into the movie. Yeah, me too. I was going to say that about the kid too. It's like, I can understand why, you know, fucking kid almost got murdered, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That is the most aggravating kid in a a movie ever. I've had people like tell me they had to shut it off because it it was driving them (laughs) crazy. And, but you know, that it needs to be that to show what leads to her, you know, eventual breakdown. And, uh, you know, that phone call from the Babadook moment really sent chills up my spine. It was, it was a great scare. It's subtle. There's not a lot of, like, banging jump scares or anything like that. It's just a really well-crafted psychological film. I mean, a lot of people argue it's not even really a horror movie, but it counts for me. I thought it was cool. Yeah, love it. What you got for number five? All right, now... Uh, you know, we just on my number six, we talked about how I'm not a misogynist and all that kind of stuff, but <laughs> number five might change some people's mind. Um, all right. I'm, <laughs> I'm intrigued. It's uh 2016's terrifier, uh, directed by a fellow tri-state area denizen, Damien Leone. And, uh, it features art, the clown <laughs> who was, uh, introduced in Leone's, uh, short, called the ninth circle and uh in 2013 there was like an anthology called all hallows eve which had that mm-hmm. ninth circle short in there and um yeah i mean i'm not going to apologize for liking this movie it's just an awesome slasher film and it's an upgrade to some of our favorite slasher slasher characters from the 80s with uh a you know 
a new century, new millennium brutality added to it, you know? And it's just a fucking mean-spirited, violent, gory slasher film. And that's literally all it is. You know what I mean? And I well, then, fucking dug it. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me then that I have not seen this. I'm going to throw myself at the mercy and, and, you know, please forgive me. I'm a poser. <laughs> I'm being exposed right now. Yeah. I'm not a true horror head. Um, I'm not a huge fan of slashers. Yeah. Or yeah. mean-spirited movie. I hate the Saw movies. I hate hostile movies. Um, not just because of their content. I just kind of feel they're, they're, they're dumb. Yeah movies with nothing with nothing to say nothing interesting going on but that, that said i'm not like there are a lot of great like maniac maniac slasher that's an example of how to do it right um well since i haven't seen this one now it's on my list and uh sounds like a fun night with fun date night yeah it's brutal man you know and like i said you know in this in this day and age you know like people might find it offensive i don't give a fuck honestly it's like i like what i like you know whatever and sure you know it it's uh i think i can't i can't i'm not going to apologize for it but it's it's a fucking fun movie man and um you like what you like and also it was successful and terrifier 2 is due out later this year so there you go all right there you have it. Double yeah. feature. Yeah, double feature, one and two. <laughs> yeah. The thing I do right, like well, about it, we'll... though, is that it had, it, it just, the, the whole vibe just had this like sleazy, like late 70s look to it too. You know what I mean? It just, it looked like a sleazy movie. And um, do you know if it was shot on film or I'd have to research that uh, I'm going to say probably not because it was, a, you know, maybe maybe two is shot on film. But I think it was like a low budget production and like it's shot on video and right. treated to look like the grainy grindhouse kind of vibe to it. You know, sure. That got that became a popular sort of technique after uh, I think the first time I saw that was in uh, House of the Devil. Yeah. Which had that come out this day, it would definitely be on the list. Yeah, that's, that was that's great. Classic. I that one too. Yeah. Love that movie. Ty West is a interesting director. I'll always watch anything he does. I don't. I don't love all of uh, his films, but I like that one. Yeah, I like the the, the ghost one he did after. What the hell was that? The Innkeepers or something? That was that was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, that was all right. He did a movie I considered like, but I just it's been too long since I've seen it. It was uh, the Sacrament, which is basically. Oh, a retelling man. of the Jonestown. Yeah. It was a strange, strange choice. I think a Jonestown, straight up Jonestown uh, story movie would, would be great. Yeah. But they did sort of a weirdly fictionalized version of that. Well, okay, so I think we're at my number five. Yep. Um, you'll probably hear the words tone, mood, and atmosphere come up in, in, in all these. <laughs> uh, but... but <laughs> Um, my number five was a movie that was, uh, it was filmed or in 2015 under the title February, but didn't come out until 2017 under the name Black Coat's Daughter. Oh, man. Yes. Um, okay. Directed by Oz Perkins, who actually, I didn't know this, is the son of Anthony Perkins, uh, Norman Bates. Very interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a... I, th I think this is his debut film and talk about coming out of the parks and just coming out of the box swinging. But wow, from first frame to the last frame, this like this movie is just seeping <laughs> in dread. 
and uh, an atmosphere it takes place at a, at a campus um, again small cast like the um, school's out for winter break and a couple of the girls are left behind and one of them may be possessed by uh, the devil or a demon <laughs> and <laughs> you know it could something like that could be very fucking cheesy or sleazy uh, but this is just a, a masterclass in, in the tone and atmosphere and just tastefully done. Um, you know, never get like a really good look at, uh, at what it is that's possibly possessing her. But, uh, yeah, just everything about it, the, the wintry atmosphere of it. I felt like while I was watching it, like the room dropped like 15 degrees. Like I was cold when I watched it, even though I'm like, you know, in a heated roof on, on my couch. Like it's, it's, it's that effective and not to mention all the movies I see where people get stabbed. There's a stabbing in this movie where like, man, you really feel it. You really feel like the brutality of what it must be like to be stabbed. And, uh, you know, demonic possession is something I always find, uh, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a genre I enjoy. It's not often done right though. And this does something interesting with it. It has three different, uh, Two different timelines, two different perspectives. Um, that's great. It's a great horror movie, and I think it's one that you can easily recommend to someone who's maybe not so much into horror or more into like the mainstream, something like The Conjuring. They might be able to enjoy something like this. You know, actually, uh, The Black Hood's Daughter was my number four. Oh, so these okay. two dovetail very tightly together here. And, um, nice. Yeah, it's, right. it's. I had a feeling you this would be on the list. Yeah, yeah I, it's so completely the kind of film that I would like, and and Oz Perkins is great. He's got some other films out which I dig, and um, you know, it's incredibly well yeah, acted. Got it's got uh, Emma Roberts yeah. and Kiernan Shipka in it, who are great. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Emma Roberts fan. I mean, I, I unapologetically, I'm a fan of American Horror Story, and she is featured on that quite a bit. So. You know, I watched. We just started. Wa I, <laughs> I just started watching. Uh, we finished the cult season, which I, it was. You know, American Horror Story is just kind of trashy fun, and yeah. I enjoyed that season. It was hilarious. We just watched the Apocalypse season, and I absolutely hated it, though. So. I, I um, I, I really like the Apocalypse one, but I, I, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna go to bat for it. I, I like it personally. I like all the seasons. You know, it's got. You know, Dylan McDermott was in it. You know, uh, Emma Roberts is great. Yep. I think she's an excellent actress. I think she plays a lot of different roles in that. Um, you know, the list of actors that, have, that are, you know, go on and on. And it, and it's, uh, I thought it was it was some of my favorite, like, TV actors are in it, you know? And, um, yeah. you know, that, that guy, that blonde kid, what's his name? Um, the good-looking guy. Oh, he's, he's right. In <laughs> he's in that, he's one of the X-Men or something. He's, uh, uh, he's a fast, that I think he's a good actor, man. I can't remember his fucking name now. Though he's like this blonde, like good-looking guy, but he um yeah he's called upon to do a lot of different different roles in there, and I think it's all good. You know, I think it's a cool show, and I don't know how many more seasons they have left, but you know, I, I enjoy it. Yeah, I hear the new one's really good, the '80s slasher one. You know what? I didn't like that as much as some of the others, but oh, anyway. interesting. Yeah. 
Um, I, I think it yeah. speaks to the eighties thing, which we talked about earlier. I think that, uh, maybe the eighties episode should have came out a couple of years earlier, maybe, I don't know, but yeah. right. I, I hear you. Yeah. Um, yeah. One last thing about, about, about black coat star too. I, I, I love the, the way the characters talk to each other in this movie. There's almost like an extra pause when someone responds and it really adds to like the, the pacing and tone of the, of the movie. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what he does next. I got a, I think it's called Gretel, Hansel and Gretel. He's got coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah. I've seen some ads for that on the subway. Yeah. It looks cool. Especially yeah, I, knowing um, that he's directing it, I think is amazing, you know? Right. Like normally a PG 13 movie coming out in January just spells like disaster. <laughs> but uh, yeah, knowing that, that he's the one directing, like it, I have confidence that's going to be great. That actor's name is uh, Evan Peters. That's the name. The guy coming <laughs> over. Okay. Yeah. And he is one of the X-Men, right? I don't know, actually. You know, I, I didn't really follow the X-Men films. You would think yeah, I would, uh, being a comic book fan, but I, I only I only watched the first couple. Now, uh, those movies, the continuity between the series, is, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me, but, you know, what the fuck do I know? Yeah. Okay, so that was your number four. What yep. is your number three? Wait, what was your number four? Oh, okay. That was oh, number shit, five for you, so we kind of morphed my, my four and your five. So what's your number oh, okay. four? Oh, okay. My number four, another debut, another incredibly strong debut. Uh, it's from 2015, Robert Eggers' The Witch. Okay, cool. Uh, again, like, this is the kind of movie, like, it got something like an 89% or something on Rotten Tomatoes, but like an F from audience scores, which I always find interesting. There's such a huge gap between what the paying public thinks and what the critics think. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me when I saw it. Mean, I loved it, obviously. Uh, but when I saw it, I was like, this is going to go over a lot of people's heads who are expecting something more of a thrill ride. You know, the content came out, I think, a year before that, and horror was all of a sudden, you know, popular again because the movie made like a shit ton of money. And uh, so people were interested in horror again, and they go to see something like this, and they're like, what in the fuck did I just watch? You know, it's in it's in English, but it's a completely different dialect. Um, it's it's shot with all natural light and uh, and and candlelight. It's it's very slow, and there's no like it's called the witch, but there's no really like big bad guy throughout the whole movie to root against. You know what I mean? It's it's very internal, and and this is one that I could watch over and over and get something new out of it each time. Yeah, I, I, I really like that movie too, man. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Plus, you know, a, a black evil goat that morphs into the devil, you know. So what's not to love? One, uh, one of the this things... Guy, I'm sorry, go ahead, man. Sorry. No, no, no. You go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah, one of the things I liked about it too is... Um, the, and I don't even know if this was done intentionally, but the uh, the the sort of references to Satanism, um, you know, more of a response to the uh, lack of permissiveness that Christian ideologies have, and how like Satanism is more about was more about like uh, freedom and 
no repression and uh, giving in to your sort of baser instincts and mm. as demonstrated at the end of the film. You know what I mean? Right. Like, sort of respond, responding to uh, an oppressive, like, monotheistic uh, philosophy. You know, and I think that's that was, like, the thing I was most impressed about the film. And, you know, aside from the craft of making the film and the acting, I thought it was great, too. Right. And it's a great transformation of, of that character from, from beginning to end. And, yeah, on a technical level... Um, this guy's the real deal. I don't know if you saw the lighthouse. It's follow up to this. That, uh, I did. I did. And that, that connects to what I said earlier, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's an outstanding movie. Uh, I, this guy has my money for everything he does. Uh, and this, yeah, really, really love this one. Uh, I, I see myself watching this probably every, every couple years. So that we're coming down to the wire now, man. We got our top three. Yeah. You know, this is like Jeez. the uh, the you know the top three here. So my number yep. three this. is uh, 2018's Mandy, written and directed by Panos Cosmatos, and uh, I think I've watched this movie mm. about 15 times in the last like several months since it came out. So. Yeah. Oh man, just. This was tough not to include in my top 10. Um, yeah. I mean, this is just such a stylish, psychedelic trip. Uh, it, every frame of this movie is, is gorgeous, even though like it's sort of a brutal story. Yeah. I mean, it's really the story is quite simple. It's a revenge movie, you know, and there's like a cult right. and... Nicholas Cage. The thing I like about Nicholas Nicholas Cage, first of all, I've always been a fan of his. I don't give a fuck what anyone says about him. I love Nicholas Cage. Sure, yeah, he's he's, he's always good for for something. I mean, like you're you're gonna you're gonna see a performance when you see him. Yeah, and I'm gonna go on record to say that I think Nicholas Cage really shines when he's directed properly. I think that Absolutely. Nicholas Cage requires a very, very good director to get great performances out of him, you know? And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think in this case, he got great performances. Like, Panos Cosmatos was able to get great Nicolas Cage performances. And um, Absolutely. Yeah, and, and, and it, the thing I like about his character is there's, like, these references to him being a different type of guy, you know, prior to the film. Like maybe a wild yeah, dude, you see, yeah. You know, like violent. Yeah, you, you see someone off him, yeah. You know, there's, and then, there's that scene in the helicopter. Someone offers him a beer, and he turns it down. You see, like maybe some alcoholism in his past. Yeah, and and they picked uh, that King Crimson song as the intro, and I was like, man, what a perfect fucking song for this scene. Absolutely. And um, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like you can see that he he might have had a way more. Ex exciting life at some point and and he now he's uh you know sort of this regular guy he's going to work every day chopping trees down in the fucking with some lumberjacks <laughs> or whatever being flown in and he's trying to live this more pastoral life with his uh his lady out in the uh r remote area you know some remote forest somewhere and you also right. get the sense that mandy his his lady is kind of underneath his whole salvation as a man. 
So he owes a lot of his, uh, you know, kind of uh, redemption to her. Mm. And that's why when she's taken away from him, there's, it has, it's such a heavy experience for him. You know what I mean? And then he goes back into the, descends into the animalistic side of his personality. Now, all that stuff I just said isn't even explained. It's just you, your mind, like your imagination is sparked by the, by the film, by the imagery that's presented to you in the movie. And you just kind of build this whole character around Red, Nicolas Cage's character. And um, that's what I love about the movie. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, it's not explained, but you see it in the character, like the way Nicolas Cage plays it and the way he's directed. And, um, yeah, there's also, like, like right at the most horrible moment in his life, he looks on the TV and there's a fucking cheddar goblin on there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just that one moment that it's just like, like – you know, the world doesn't care about your problems. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're alone. And like all this, he- the heaviness you're feeling, you know, the world still goes on. And I, I thought that was a-, a really like nice, nice touch and very bizarre, but worked really well. Um, <clears throat> yeah. There's, there's so much, the music, sadly, it was the last for Johan Janssen's last score he ever did. I uh, died shortly after, or actually before the film yeah, was released. I think he passed before away. Before it was released, he passed away. Yeah, yeah. It's got some uh, some people we know on the soundtrack. Um, uh, uh, Faith Colochia, Colochia, Turner. She yeah. she does some singing on one of the songs. Oh wow! Okay. Uh, the dude from Sun contributed. Uh, Stephen O'Malley he contributed some some guitar to the soundtrack, uh, which is great. It's it's it adds a lot to the movie. Yeah. That I mean, scene particularly bad. that sort of like scene I thought was really cool with, uh, with O'Malley's guitar work in there. Yeah. This is another movie where the characters talk to each other in a strange sort of manner where there's a lot of pauses and kind of quieter. And, uh, I love stuff like that. It, it can really derail a movie or it can really, really make it like, I don't know if you're a fan of the neon demon, I am not. Uh, no, I'm not into that. It has sort of, yeah, uh, that has a similar vibe, but it, it sort of doesn't really make sense and becomes aggravating after a while, the way people talk like this. <laughs> it, 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 it drove me nuts in that movie, but in something like Mandy, it, it makes complete sense. Neon Demon, there was that guy that was in the beginning of uh, Love, that Gaspar No movie. You know, the, the guy who oh, um, starred yeah. in that film, who was like, got jerked off in the first scene, that guy? Yeah, that's he's a bad in, movie, too. He's in Neon Demon. Oh, I didn't I didn't recognize him. Yeah, because he didn't have, he wasn't getting jerked off, probably. But yeah, he was. Yeah, um, that's probably what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, another thing about Mandy is check it out, man. Cosmos, pa- Co- uh, Panos Cosmatos' father directed uh, Cobra. Starring Sylvester Stallone. And Tombstone. And Tombstone, right. Another great movie. But let's yeah. fo- let me focus on Cobra for a second. I feel like... Oh, by all means. Cobra and Mandy have a similar look with the way they use red. Huh. Like there are certain similarities with those two films. And, um, and some of the more action scenes in, in Mandy make me think a little bit of like a, a movie like Cobra. 
you know? Yeah, I, I can see because it also it deals with some sort of like you know murderous cult. Yeah, there's there's that kind of similarity. Um, I would have loved Sylvester Stallone to show up in this. <laughs> the greatest Sly uh, was in Mandy, you know. Yeah, maybe 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 part two. Somewhere there's a director's um, cut of uh, Cobra too, and um, that has a lot more violence in it. That didn't didn't. Right, we were just talking about this, yeah, right? Yeah, we were, we were, and uh, Stallone had like a di- a way different vision for that movie than the version that made it to the theaters, apparently. And uh, and there's like a lot of it got cut. There was um, you know, you guys remember too is the '80s. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, like his version of the film was a lot more extreme. And um, I, I mean, I'm sure that at this stage of the game, there's hardly any interest in Cobra. But like, it would be cool if there was like some director's cut of that movie out there at some point. But I doubt that'll ever happen. Yeah, if it hasn't happened by now, you know, like, like when DVD and Blu-ray kind of took all, you saw a lot more of of that director's cuts, this yeah. and alternate versions. And I think that's weirdly one of Stallone's more kind of forgotten movies. I agree. And, uh, because it, it it is an unsung gem in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, he cuts his pizza with with uh, with scissors. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you like uh, the director's previous film, The Beyond the Black Rainbow? Oh yeah, I, I own that on Blu-ray. I love that movie. And that's one that is impenetrable to me. I've seen it a couple times and. Each time I think this is going to be the one where like, it makes sense to me, but each time I'm like, nope, just this, I hate this. I think you have to be on mushrooms to watch, to watch that movie. That's exactly what I think. I was like, man, when I was a fucking pothead, why why didn't this exist? Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's this definitely would be, like, that kind of movie. Y- you probably yeah. make more sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, maybe if I ever you know fucking get back on it, I'll 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 cue that up. Also, uh, um, with Mandy, it also has a small part by uh, an actor who I really hope gets utilized in the future is uh, Richard Brake as uh, the chemist, (laughs) the guy who makes like the uh, over the top LSD that the black skulls have been ingesting that transform them into demons. Uh, Yeah, Richard Brake, he was in that awful Rob Zombie film, 31. Um, You just have to say Rob Zombie film and I'll just assume it's awful don't ask me why but i saw this movie in the movie theater and uh you know me and mike went to go see it and i was like i i heard this one was particularly awful it was it was bad man it was terrible like like we me and mike went to go see it on uh, 42nd street you know like we were doing this whole like thing and it's like you know it's like a new multiplex but it used to be a different theater mm. like back in the 70s and the 80s and uh you know, it was like the week or two of, that the film got a theatrical release, and there was like you know like eight people in the in the audience, and there was a right. uh, filmed Q and A with Rob Zombie after the movie, which he stuck around to watch. And Rob Zombie even admitted that he wrote the script for the movie in like an afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, and I, I imagine it shows. Yeah, it's fucking all terrible. His movies suck. That guy's everything he's done. I hate all of his fucking movies, man. I hate his films. I hate his music. Um, I, you know, like, it, it made, like, you know, when you heard the, the Rob Zombie was going to make a horror movie, like, oh, that makes sense. He's a, I'll check it out. And, like, uh, what was it? A House, House of a Thousand Corpses. It was just, 
abysmal. And everything I've seen since has been equally bad. But I get it, man. I, I, sometimes I, you find yourself in this theater wondering, why am I here? Like, I, I saw Hatchet in this theater. <laughs> like, it, it was... Ugh. This fucking terrible movies. Um, but one thing, uh, last thing about Mandy is like we didn't talk about like this movie goes completely insane in like the last thirty minutes. Yeah, like it is just a fucking complete violent bloodbath. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, can't wait to see what he does next. Everyone gets their comeuppance in this movie. That's for sure. Yeah, and then the, the, the uh, again that la- that that last shot. It's great. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it sticks with you. Um, similar to my number three movie, which um, this is one of my favorite movies of the last decade. It would probably be my number one on this list, although I think a lot of people would argue that it's not really a horror movie. But it had enough, and it's qualified for me anyway, and that's uh, 2013's Enemy by Denny Villeneuve. Dude, I don't even know that Starring movie. Jake Gyllenhaal. Really? Huh, Enemy. Okay. I don't, well, I don't know Well, you're... Um, uh, well, you know, do you know the director, Denny Villeneuve? Yeah. He did a movie called Prisoners. He did the new Blade Runner. Uh-huh. Yeah, of course. Uh, which is... Yeah. Enemy. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a one that went under the radar. He did a, a film with Jake Gyllenhaal a couple years before called Prisoners that, you know, did fairly well, and they followed it up with uh, this, and this is a real psychological head-scratcher about a doppelganger. Um, Okay. Jake Gyllenhaal is watching a movie one day, and he sees an extra, and it looks exactly like him. And he's trying to track this guy down who is identical to him in every way. And since you haven't seen it, I think this is the best movie, uh, one of those movies to go in cold. Um, okay. uh, not to not know too much about it, but it is very psychological uh, and, and metaphorical. It's like what you're seeing might not necessarily be what's real, almost in like a David Lynch sort of way. Wow. Okay. But yeah, cool. This movie is so steeped in, in atmosphere. It takes place in Toronto, but, but they somehow make it feel empty. And, and and almost like decaying in a, in a way, hmm. and um, yeah, I I love this movie. And not, like I said, it's not completely a horror movie, but it's one that if you're a horror fan, um, you should see it. Right on, man! And I, just I added I, it to my uh, my watch list here. Yeah, I would watch this before you watch uh, the House of Jack Build. Like okay, is I think it's a masterpiece, and. Uh, I would recommend you watch it with someone because there is a lot to talk about by the end. This is like a film I love to show people. Like uh, when I started dating my my girlfriend and I got my new TV, I'm like, we got to watch Enemy and just talked about it for like a couple days after. It's a really interesting film. Damn. Uh, yeah, you're going to love it. And uh, one of my favorites of all time. And I'm curious to see this uh, director's version of Dune, which he's working on now, which I tried reading one of those books on tour and I got like 40 pages in and realized I had not retained one word of it. <laughs> it just yeah. completely went over my head. 
Yeah, I'm, um, I'm not a fan so I'm not, of uh, Frank Herbert's Dune, really, reading the book or anything like that. Yeah. It's just sci-fi gobbledygook. Just not for me. I thought David Lynch's film version of it was interesting to look at. Um, curious to see what what Denny Villeneuve brings to that table. Because I mean, I mean, Blade Runner twenty era, Blade Runner two was a masterpiece. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I loved it. Love that movie. Yeah, that's was, the world you want to live in. Like so beautiful. There, there was. Uh... Alejandro Jodorowsky was supposed to do a version of Dune that never got made, and that would have been interesting, I think. Yeah, I saw the documentary. That guy's just kind of a madman. Like he's only made a couple of films, but they're are all at least interesting. Uh, yeah, no, I like all of his movies, man. Like you know, El Topo, Holy Mountain, Santa Sangre. Yeah, like, those are cool movies. I think. Holy Holy Mountain was a big stoner thing in in, in my early twenties. You know when first moved to Boston, like, if you went to, like, a college party, fucking, that was playing in the background, you know? Yeah. I don't know yeah. how we got away All with right. having naked kids in the movie, to be honest, but, you know, it's safe. That's we're, we're true. Into... Yeah, God, I didn't even think of that. Was... Things were different back then, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Things were definitely different, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where are we at now? We're at your uh, number two? Number two. Shit, moving right along. The Void is my number two, 2016 Canadian production by Stephen Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie. More, mm. more well-known for their Astron 6 productions. And uh, Astron 6 right. brought us all uh, Father's Day, the editor. And, um, Editor's great. And let's not forget Manborg. <laughs> I uh, didn't see that one. Yeah, the editor, I know you and I both like that. Yeah, uh, that 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 was almost on here. Actually, I really really enjoyed that movie. I know it's a comedy, but it works as a horror film as a giallo. Yeah, you can tell um, that movie was made by people who really appreciate the genre, though. You know what I mean? And it's better than anything Dario Argento's done in like fucking thirty years. <laughs> I'll have to or twenty five, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, this is a, I think the first movie we don't really agree on. I saw yeah. this. I think when it came out. I did not care for it. Okay. So, um, I don't remember it too well, but like, why is it so hard for you? Well, it checks a lot of boxes on things that I, I enjoy. Number one is like, it has, uh, it's like, it has this HP Lovecraft sort of thing going on with like this cosmic horror. Sure. Yeah. Um, anything, uh, maybe at more so as my my interest in the occult and all that. There's sure. anything that that addresses connecting to some kind of other, you know, some sort of other dimension through rituals and uh, use the use of symbols and runes and things like that, and successfully connecting to another entity, and that that those kinds of things always always rate high with me. And then, of course, there's yeah. the homage to films from the '80s that I grew up watching, such as uh, Halloween Two, The Thing, mm-hmm. uh, Hellraiser, like all that sort of stuff. So there was a lot of sentimental yeah. value to this film, and um, I just also enjoy all the Astron Six stuff too, as well. So. You know, that, that, was right. why, that was why I dug it. And I've watched it several, several, you know, several times. And yeah, well, one of my favorite movies the last 10 years. 
because it's so high on your list, I think I'll rewatch it. Um, but for all the reasons you said, I, I enjoy all those things too, which is why the movie felt like so disappointing to me. Like for me, it just felt like an imitation of of, of a movie. Like checking off, hey, isn't this cool? Practical effects, this is cool. You, you know, uh, it just yeah, it's something about it rubbed me the wrong way. But like I said, it's been years since I've seen it and uh, I'll give it another chance yeah I mean you know it's um, I also I saw it in the theater um, you know there's like a night oh Hawk, did you yeah there's a Nighthawk cinema out, out here in Brooklyn and, and uh, yeah we, it was a midnight show and you know we, we had food and we were sitting down and it, it was just like the whole experience was like perfect you know it was like one of these things like I planned to go see it like that night you know it was good and I think you know that, yeah. that might not be a, that might be a, a lot of why this is so high on my uh, my list too. I think a theater going experience, or just like seeing a movie in a certain context, can add a lot to your enjoyment of it. Like the first times I saw Maniac and the girl uh, walks home alone at night. Yeah, it's like really, really like four in the morning. Uh, like it's one of those things where I woke up and couldn't get back to sleep, and put on a movie and just you know. It set the tone. Like I feel like both of those movies take place in like the weird hours of the night. Like yeah. because I'm up at those hours of the night, you know. It, and just even recently seeing BFW in a packed house with you know the cast and the crew there, and everyone's laughing and cheering. Like it definitely adds to the experience of the movie. I, I definitely recommend you see BFW in like a, in a theater at a full screening if, that, if that's even. You know, I think it is going to get a limited release, and I'm sure it will play in New York. Yeah, I got to check that out for sure, man. Definitely. Yeah, yeah it's great. Uh, yeah, I'll give The Void another shot here. I'll rent that on, uh, on iTunes. Yeah, know? let me let me know what you think if if it change changes at all your opinion. But yeah. Yeah, my opinion can be swayed by uh, you know money usually. But, by money. Know, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm taking bribes already. Uh, all right, well, my number two is from 2018. This movie is, again, big gap between audience and critics. I think that's going to be the case with all this guy's movies. Uh, Ari Aster, uh, Hereditary. Cool. I mean, yeah, uh, this movie really got under my skin, especially the last 20 minutes or so. And... Uh, even the first 30 minutes, you think someone's the main character and then they're taken out of the movie rather graphically. And, and a, that was such an unexpected moment. Um, again, this is a, a debut. I don't know if I've ever seen this strong of a debut. I mean, this guy, it feels like this guy's been making films forever and I'm sure he's made shorts and and, his, and stuff like that. But to, to come out the gate like this was... You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a statement for sure. This also came with a lot of hype, and it, it, it didn't. It did not let me down. I feel like this might be like the new version of of The Exorcist when people talk about what the more, more disturbing or scary film they've ever seen. This one, I think, is always going to come to people's minds. Uh, it has a great performance by Tony Collette. Um, it just goes to show how the Academy really doesn't respect horror. I, mean, I thought she was a shoo-in for Academy Award nomination of that year. Um, again, it deals with heavy themes of, of grief and dysfunctional family, 
which seems to be a common thread in in, in Ari Aster's movies. Uh, I know Midsummer deals with with grief and and, and loss and breaking up, and um, Midsummer is actually another film I considered for for this list, but I, I, maybe it's just too new, or maybe when I compared it to Hereditary, it's just not as good. Hereditary goes places you don't expect at all. That movie's completely unpredictable first time through. Whereas uh, A Midsummer kind of hits the beats you think it's going to hit. Um, not to say it's a bad movie. I love that movie, but Hereditary is uh, a masterpiece. I can't find anything wrong with it. I um I initially I had Hereditary in my top ten, but I think I dislike uh, Midsummer so much that my uh, my dislike for Midsummer dragged Hereditary out of the uh, top ten, like un- undeservedly, honestly. But I uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, I it it's a great movie. I really liked it the first time I saw it. I did watch it multiple times, and um I probably should I, it should be in here I believe for me too. I mean, yeah, that kid, that creepy daughter, you know, she's great. Um, I'm sort of baffled you hated Midsummer that much. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know what it is? I feel like both characters had a similar trajectory in, in um, mm-hmm. you know, in, in both movies. And it's like, in some ways, and, you know, I mean, this is my opinion. I don't, you know, I think that the writing was kind of lazy in Midsummer. And um, mm. because they basically just took the same sort of character trajectory in both films and pasted it into right. two, two different settings. And that's why I think I dislike Midsummer so much. Mm, wow. God, that's one that uh, really stuck with me, too. I, I found the ending very disturbing. You know, these people are in this codependent relationship. And one, one ended up in the end better than the other, for sure. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was cool. I, like they I, looked like Midsummer looked great. There was like a pretty cool yeah. use of like runes and you know all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I just I didn't care for it really. I hear you. Um, but this this is one for the books. I think this is a classic. I guess the general audiences didn't really seem to like it. Again, I think people expect to see a horror movie like you know, the Conjuring movies came and did their thing, but now it is the movie that like is the new horror movie thrill ride and that got people interested in horror again. And then they see something like this and it's mature and it has heavy themes and it's kind of a bum out. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, it's not a feel good movie. No. Hell um, no. yeah, but it's great. What, uh, some of the common okay. things though, between like hereditary and black hood's daughter, uh, are films that, just our great films aside from the genre, I think, you know? Right. I, yeah, exactly. Like they'll, they'll be around for a while and I think they'll continue to find, you know, an audience. And again, with streaming, like if something just ends up on Netflix and you're just scrolling through one night, you want to watch something scary, you know, you read this and that, it will it, find people. Although oddly enough, um, uh, Midsummer and uh, Black Coat Starter, those are movies I, I, I recommend a lot. A lot of people, they're both polarizing movies. I, I don't know why Black Coat's Daughter is, but Midsummer I can see being more polarizing. Like after I saw it with a group of, of, of people and talked about it with my coworkers afterwards and split 50-50. Like 
some people loved it, some people hate it. Uh, teach their own, I guess. I think that so. leaves us uh, number to the number ones. Number one. It all comes down to this. Yeah. This one, most people won't even consider it a uh, horror film. <laughs> but uh, oh, interesting. My number one is The Joker by Todd, Todd Phillips, which came out last year. And uh, he. Uh, oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think it works as a horror film. It works. As, I totally agree. It works as a gritty crime drama like, akin to Taxi Driver. And it works yeah, as a comedy. Yeah, that comparison's been made. Yeah, and it works as a commentary on our culture. So it's like a quintessential uh, film. And it also pissed a lot of people off. It created quite a bit of yeah. controversy and all those stuff. Why do you think it is? Why do you think this movie became so controversial before anyone even saw it? Okay, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. And I think that the okay. environment that we live in, all of this virtue signaling bullshit that goes on where it's more about the vibe today with a lot of people, especially those who mm. engage on Twitter and write blogs, is mm. it's almost like this inversion of letting your actions display what kind of character you have. Instead of right. actually trying to do something good, to something pro something productive that adds to the general uh, positivity of life, people choose irresponsibly to tell the world how much they hate something in the attempt mm. to elevate their how people perceive them that want they'll say oh i hate this because it does this this and this so look at how good of a person i am how on the right side of history i am how woke i am and i think that's mm. like the reason why people hate the joker because there's a lot of strong themes in here you know what i mean a lot of you know Darker subject matter. The main character is a mentally disturbed person, and all that stuff. So that's, right. oh yeah, I have to show everyone what a good person I am. I have to disagree with this movie. I have to say I hate it. I all blah blah blah, all that stuff. And that's why people sure. are yeah. fucking weak-willed, and are eventually going to be crushed under the heel of like whatever the new regime is going to be. You know what I mean? No one has any fucking balls mm. to really say what they like. So they have to say about, talk about what they dislike. And I fucking hate that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I saw this in the theater. Um, and, uh, I listened, listened to a few, you know, different podcast reviews of it. And I was really kind of surprised by the reaction. You know, it got, got a mostly positive reaction from critics, but, um, it almost seems like like so people don't want to be seen as liking something that is perceived as uncool. Yeah, I can see if you generally, gen, you know, generally didn't like the movie. You know, of course, is you know, taste is subjective. But I, I, there was like this campaign. It seemed like to be like it, this. This isn't cool, and if you like it, you're not cool. And um, yeah, or if you like it, you're I, like a I, right uh, right wing, like fucking you know, Trump supporter or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, which I don't get any of that from the movie. I, I, no. For me, it was just a really well-done, elevated comic book film. I mean, there's still some very comic booky elements to it, which uh, didn't didn't bother me. And it's incredibly well shot and well-made. Uh, it being a Todd Phillips film is, is even more kind of surprising. I mean, he's mostly kind of known for doing you know, uh, funny sort of movies, something, you know, not to be taken as seriously. Yeah. Like he did a film called War Dogs. It was about like a, 
arms dealers and it still kind of had like a, you know, a little bit of a humorous tone to it. Yep. Um, but this is like completely in a new direction. And I, I honestly didn't have a lot of expectations for the Joker. And so I was really surprised uh, how well made it was, how well it flowed. Uh, not surprised that Joaquin Phoenix is great and is great in everything. Man, um, yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. I am really badass. Yeah. Man. I love him. But I am really surprised at the the huge negative backlash and how this film became politicized. Uh, it was very very baffling to me, but it definitely connected with an audience and made a billion fucking dollars. And I really hope, as great as this is, they don't do another one. Yeah, I agree. Like this was just about the origin of the most famous comic book villain ever. And it did it in a cool way. And everything's about trilogies and franchises now. And uh, I think that's the wrong way to go with, with, with Joker. Uh, I really liked it. I saw it twice, once in the theater and once at home. It, it kind of didn't, um, after I saw it, I was like, this is one of the best movies of the year. Then I kind of forgot about it. Yeah. And uh, upon a second viewing, it, 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 it was definitely, it was in my top 10. There's just too much that, that that's good about it. And, yeah. um, I think yeah. it's going to be Dude, something. Interesting. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no. Interesting. Interesting choice. I wasn't expecting that. I think that people are going to look at this movie like 10 years from now and it's going to be like, like similar to taxi driver and cruising and all those films. It's going to be one of those controversial movies that people are going to look back on and realize how important it was to cinema in general, to filmmaking, you know? I think. Mm. Yeah, well, only time will tell. It is certainly one of the better movies in, in that genre that's, you know, way oversaturated. And, yeah, this was unexpected. This is a really interesting movie all around. I can, uh, I'll, I'll be revisiting it, it again, you know, this year for sure. Um, my number one is also, you know, some people debate whether it's a horror movie or not. I, I think it definitely is. Um, it's not talked about or held in the esteem. I think it deserves. Um, it's probably my favorite horror movie of the last 20 years. It's from 2012. Uh, ben Wheatley's kill list. Ah, yes. Yes. Um, this hits all the things I love, all the things I like, I find scary. Um, you know, cults, the occult, and playing a larger part in something, and you have no idea. That idea to me is, has always scared me. You know, like, like the, the Wicker Man, which is the greatest horror movie of all time, I think. Um, that's that, that premise. You know, Midsummer, like that stuff really disturbs me. And this movie, like, it's all those notes and it's perfectly, it's just so well made. This looks like it could have been shot and put out in like, you know, the late seventies. Um, also the idea of like an unhinged hitman becoming more and more unhinged as the film goes on. I mean, it's just <laughs> so well done. I love the way there's a, a sense of unease from the very beginning of the movie and Ben Wheatley just keeps ramping it up as yeah. it goes along That's until great. it just hits like hits that like real downer disturbing ending and then then it's just immediately over the ending uh, was so fucking intense man I love the ending of that film 
Me too, man. I mean, talk about fucking... You knew something horrible was going to happen, but you weren't exactly sure what. Like, I thought it would have more of a traditional sort of uh, occult sacrifice sort of ending, and that is definitely not not the case. Um, It'd be one of those I wouldn't even know I was watching necessarily like a horror movie had I not seen it compared to other, you know, occult thrillers and, and, and such, but you just feel like something so wrong. And, and yeah, like I said, he just keeps ramping that up. He's Ben Wheelie's a really interesting director. He doesn't seem to want to do the same thing in the same genre. Uh, he, he seems to, you know, he's, he made his horror movie. He's made uh he, he made recently made a movie called Free Fire that I really liked. Uh, it kind of went under the radar. It's sort of an action, sort of a comedy. Um, but he's great. He's an interesting director, and I think he's made the best horror movie of the last 20 years. It confuses me why more people haven't seen it or people kind of shrug it off. I um, really enjoyed this one. That's another one. I'm like, you haven't seen Kill This? We're watching it. <laughs> you know, I've seen it multiple times with many different people and uh yeah i i love it i i hope ben really makes another horror film at, at some point because he's really fucking good at it yeah I, I dug it and and like you're saying it almost it has for most of the film it has this kind of crime drama like vibe to it you know what i mean sure and, and then it slowly reveals itself you know and that, that's that's what i really dug about the movie as well yeah yeah, exactly. And uh, that, again, that ending I thought about for days is really unsettling stuff. Well, we did it. Well, that's it, man. Top Our 10. top ten. You know, you want to run through some of the uh, some of the runner ups we got? <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, God, again, any of these could have been uh, number number eleven for me, and you cover actually most of my honorable mentions the only ones you didn't was um a film from 2018 a french movie called the night eats the world oh i saw that that was really good i dug that one yeah yeah me too it was uh you know just when you think you know zombies like uh i i mean at this point i'm fucking sick of them uh the walking dead kind of killed it for me yeah uh do not like that show uh this was cool. Like it was, you know, a one man show, not a lot of dialogue, e- even though like it's in France, everyone's speaking English, but you know, whatever I can overlook that. And it's really about this guy, like feeling really lonely and bored and slowly unraveling. And it's really good. It's not particularly scary or anything like that, but it, it's just a really good, well, well told story. Yeah. It's very moody, very moody. And, yeah. And the guy's, good again the movie's on his shoulders and he does a, a great job and you really i think could identify with like if that was you how how lonely and fucking depressed you'd be uh and the other thing um you didn't uh we didn't talk about was 2004 uh 14 directing duo justin benson and aaron moorhead um spring i have one of their films another film of theirs on my runner-up list but yeah oh yep. interesting yeah I, I really just wanted to put their films in general like this could have been resolution as yeah. well i really like that movie mm-hmm. uh the endless not as much but i still think it's a good good flick worth checking out 
spring is is really cool. Like it's it's horror sort of love story, you know, and yeah. hits some of those notes. It has the kind of like a Lovecrafty, you know, vibe to it with the creature. But again, like you think you're just kind of watching like a movie about this dude who just lost someone and he's you know backpacking around and it kind of kind of turns halfway through the movie. Yeah, Spring, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed guys. that, man. Because like, yeah, it's a good one. Like you were mentioning about how it's like this guy who's kind of down and out in his hometown. And yeah, a lot of times, I know I've experienced these moments in my life where you just realize it's time to leave. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's time for me to get the fuck out of here before something bad happens. And then you just you peace yeah. out for a few years. And that's what I liked about the movie, actually. Sure, yeah. Um a good movie. Oh, something else. Uh, the Canal. I don't. Oh, I don't from, know. That also one. from. It's something I caught on Netflix a few years back. I don't think it was ever like a top ten contender. Um, I didn't even write down any fucking notes for it because I didn't think I'd even mention it. Nah, you know, it's, um, it's all right. It's a, a um a murder mystery. You know, a, a supernatural murder sort of mystery. Uh, Irish horror film it, it's really well made like I, you know um you could see it easily being a bad movie and and, and but this is just like a, a, a well-made version of a generic horror movie if, it, if that makes any sense <laughs> like kind of has like the waterlogged ghosty girl you know that was so popular uh, after the japanese horror movie started coming out you know the girl with like the long stringy hair and it kind of has moments like that but it's it's really effective. It uh, I enjoyed it, and uh, I think it was at least worth mentioning that the movie called Canal exists. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, and uh, I saw The Devil, Korean. Yep. Horror film. Uh, you know, all about revenge and how it corrupts your soul and eventually destroys everything around you. Um, I thought that would make my top 10, but after rewatching it recently, as good as it is, the movie just is unfocused and flies off the rails in certain parts of the movie that it just veers wildly into a, a, a different movie. Like, I think a tighter version of that would, would, would be better. And it has such heavy themes that, like, it's, kind of foreign to humor like it doesn't work for that movie or for me anyway uh another korean film called the the wailing i just rewatched recently too it's a again way too long but really interesting uh a story about uh, a, a village under attack by a, a supernatural force uh, it's it's worth mentioning. It's, I think it's worth seeing, but it, it, I didn't love it. But there's something about it that that uh, made it interesting and, and worth a watch. So, but uh, none of those last three I mentioned were you know top ten material. They they were just horror movies I enjoyed watching, but had some had some problems with. What about you? For me, uh, Hereditary would have probably been in my top ten. Like I said. Uh, but I'm going to give that a mention for sure. Um, oh, yeah. What was actually in my top 10 was a film called John Dies at the End from 2012. And uh, that's a Don Coscarelli oh, film. Oh, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Phantasm guy, right? Yeah, he did Phantasm and like Bubba Hotep, and you know, it's like dark fantasy, like sci-fi, horror, comedy. Yeah. It was just like a really cool movie. It was based on a on a novel by this uh, by David Wong. There's actually two two novels in the series, and um, it's just really yeah. a cool, interesting, like fun movie that I've watched like several times. You know. Yeah, it's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed that one as as well. I like, um, like, uh, God, what's that actor's name? Uh, he's sideways. God, Paul oh, Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, yeah. He's in this. He's in uh, yeah. John Dies at the End, too. Yeah. Yeah, he's always worth a watch. Yeah, it's that's a, that's a fun movie. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Good one. There's uh, The Ritual, which was on uh, Netflix from 2017. That was based on yep. a, uh, a book which is actually superior to the movie. And that's why the movie wasn't in the uh, top 10. If they'd incorporated more, more of the book, I think it would have been great. Uh, Wolf Cop, anytime you got werewolves, I'm in. And it's a Canadian werewolf uh, <laughs> film. Wolf Cop? I haven't yeah. even heard about that. You got to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a horror comedy. Um, and, uh, I, I like a good horror comedy. Yeah, it's like, it's it's really good. I think I think it's... I'm pretty sure either, there's two actually Wolf Cop and another Wolf Cop. There's two films in the series. Uh, the first one was really cool. Uh, you know, it's about a cop who becomes a werewolf basically. And well, there's more to it than that. There's like a, some intrigue involving a, uh, an election to this town. There's like, uh, you know, a, 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 a cult in it. So see, you know, there's an, like a cult angle, which you would probably appreciate. And um, sure. as I was watching the movie, one of the things I, I thought was cool about it was like, if you took out the comedic elements, it would still be mm-hmm. an awesome horror film. It would be a straight up awesome horror film without the comedic elements. It would just be a great werewolf story, you know? And that's why right. it, it's like a great movie, I think. Sure. Werewolves were, were like big in the eighties. You haven't seen, uh, you haven't seen them much recently. No. You always get a, a vampire film. Yeah. Once, once a year it feels like, but no werewolves. And, we, uh, we got to revisit werewolves are that. Fucking cool, man. Yeah. We're, werewolves yeah. are awesome. And the, you need, there needs to be more werewolf movies. So anyway, uh, depraved. What was the last good one? Ah, dude. Yeah. Uh, depraved by 2019, Larry Fassenden, who, uh, you know, it's like a hipster, hipster, hipster Frankenstein movie, and uh, <laughs> sure, which uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the uh, Habit, which is a hipster vampire movie that he did back in the day, and uh, yeah, it's his first movie, right? Yeah, it's great. It's like uh, just watched. I haven't it. seen that one. Just watched it, man. It's awesome. Oh. It's like the um, it takes place in New York, Lower East Side. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, locations are familiar to people who grew up or lived in New York or live in New York and will remember a different time when those areas were like in the nineties where it was like a totally different thing like it is now and uh, fastened in stars in that film. And he's this kind of like, mm. dude, you see him and you're like, yeah, this guy looks like he's into like cop shoot cop and the swans and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, like this kind of totally. lowly side, like scumbaggy kind of dude, you know? And uh, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, Hereditary, you know, I um, probably, 
Oh, I said that already, didn't I? Right there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah. we, we <laughs> yeah. we've been talking so long, you forgot. Yeah. Let's just do the top 10 again. Yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> I, I have uh, The Endless in there, but, you know, I think all three of uh, the Benson Moorhead films are, are, uh, worthy of a mention i think those guys haven't quite hit their stride yet but i look forward to anything those guys are doing yeah same i think they have something coming out this year and there was another Uh, film there's another film called transfiguration which is like uh very depressing Hmm. urban quote-unquote vampire film and uh, I think you could, I haven't even heard of this. I think you could still find it on Netflix or or Shutter or something like that. It's about this uh, this young boy who's like growing up in like a, a project. He's fascinated by vampire lore, and he sees himself as he's a human, but he thinks he's a vampire essentially. And um, so okay, yeah, the movie has a lot to do with depression, uh, sacrifice. Um, feelings of uh, hopelessness, and uh, it's a very powerful movie, and that's uh, that's definitely worth a mention. You know what? I've heard of that. Yeah, I have heard of that. I think I was trying to track, like, watch it, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I think I think you can get it on Shutter, maybe, or it's on Prime, yeah. or it was at one point on Netflix, but I'm not sure what happened to it. Hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. Maybe it was in my queue or something. Something about that sounded really, really familiar. Uh, highly recommend. Um, yeah. You know, speaking of Larry Fessenden, just go back to that for a second. He made a movie uh, about a killer catfish called Beneath that I really enjoyed. And most huh. people thought it was like made for sci-fi, like junk. But I just, I just really enjoyed it. And if you haven't seen that, check it out. I mean, it's a bunch of kids in a boat. Uh, being attacked by a giant fish. That's awesome. I got to check that out. I didn't even know about that yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's strange for Larry Spessing and his movies are a little, usually a little bit heavier and, and deal with more. And this was just kind of like a simple movie with like dumb kids uh, being eaten by, uh, you know, this giant uh, <laughs> fish. <laughs> it's not CGI. It's yeah. It's, it's just a good time. I mean, that's when I show to people, and I'm like, you're fucking nuts. I can't believe you like this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, sometimes you got to like some trashy shit. I'm all about it, man. Anything I else? like a lot of stuff that's yeah. trashy, you know. Uh, a couple yeah, other I mean, things, cool. like maybe uh, Green yeah, Room cool. was cool, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, I like that director uh, of his three films that I've seen, or four. Uh, Green Room wasn't up there for me. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm. A, it's not a top ten for me, but it's, it was. I enjoyed it. I've seen it a few times. Um, me too. Yeah, that movie is loved. Like people really, really like that one, and it's it was okay for me. Like it seemed uh, for something that, that took place in the real world. It seemed something uh, very unrealistic to me. You, you, you know, like. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And then there was um, a Turkish film from 2015 called Baskin, which I really liked. Oh man, you know I've never seen that. That's one that always comes up, but uh, still, still haven't pulled the trigger on that one. Definitely check it out. It's really interesting. It's like uh, very much, um, I would say, influenced by uh, by Dario Argento, like in that vein. Cool. You know, and then there's an Indonesian film called Satan's Slaves from 2017. That's really cool. That's on. I believe that's on Netflix. Oh, 
So yeah, you can check that out. Okay, Satan's Slaves. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's a good one. Mm. Yeah, and that's it, man. That's yeah. uh, you oh, know, right. I'm sure I forgot something, but basically those are the ones that have been like kind of stuck in my consciousness for like the last few years. You know. Yeah, same here. Um, I think it's been a great decade for horror, and uh, there is a lot of good stuff out there. And if you say there isn't, you're not you're not looking hard enough. Exactly, man. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there was probably just as much garbage in the 80s and, and 90s and, uh, as there is now, you know? Like, it was never, like, every horror movie was great, you know? And even some of the things people look at as, as great, I think it's more through a nostalgic lens. Like, none of those Friday the 13th movies are really any good. But no. you grew up with them, you know? So they're great. One of the things, or though, I do have to go to bat for is that I still think the first Halloween is, like, still very watchable. You know what I mean? Oh, sure. And I love David Gordon Green's uh, sequel uh, to it from, from last year. That's one that, uh, you know, got further and further down the list the more movies I started writing down. Um, that, as much as I like it, it does have some deep flaws in its logic in, in, in some moments and that's what kept it out for me yeah but uh yeah halloween's great um all the sequels are garbage except for three <laughs> which doesn't really count um well yeah this was fun i've never this is you can probably tell my first ever podcast a little nervous really huh. yeah i've never been on a podcast before i feel like you uh you've been like a um you seem like an old hand at it honestly uh, no, I, I just like to run my mouth, so this is perfect for me. Well, it's perfect, uh, you know, sort of format then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and this was really fun. I had a lot of fun, like, you know, making this list and rewatching some of it and discovering, you know, new things in these movies. This is uh, was a lot of fun. Thanks for, you know. Thanks for thinking of me to do this. Yeah, man. And uh, you guys out there that are still still listening, <laughs> thanks a lot for checking <laughs> this out. And, uh, yeah, let us know, man. Let us know what you think. And, um, yeah, man, we'll, uh, we'll do this again sometime real soon. All right, cheers, everybody. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Mike. You got it. 